Like you heard me talk about on the podcast, on the radio show, on Twitter, I've wanted to branch out in 2019. That's one of my goals. Create more content, create good content, create content about things that I care about and maybe other people care about. So with True Detective Season 3 coming up, uh, I believe on the 13th, so like you know, 10, 11 days from now, depending on when you're listening to it, I wanted to run back through Season 1. Season 1 is one of those watershed moments in TV history. You know, it really created the the new the new trend of big time actors getting into TV, getting into TV, and you know, being willing to do seasons of TV, being being willing to do Netflix TV, all of this. this to me, like this all started with True Detective and McConaughey at his you know peak renaissance, and Woody Harrelson, obviously one of the the better actors in Hollywood over the last couple of decades. You know, you, you, you got the news that they're going to do this detective show on HBO. And I remember just being surprised and really intrigued. And I think a lot of other people were, as you see, with the, the huge number the, the, the premiere grabbed. It broke HBO's records. It grabbed 2.3 million viewers. All to see how these two big-time actors, you know, McConaughey A-list and Woody Harrelson, you know, one of my, if not my favorite actor, if he's not A-list, he's B-plus. So both these guys were going to be willing to do TV. And quite frankly, they got together and produced one of, if not the best, season of television in the last 10, 15, 20 years. At least 10, you know, like you, you at least go between the end of The Wire and the end of The Sopranos until, boom. Right here, True Detective Season 1. It's up there for my generation as that, like I said, that watershed moment. Along with it, I put something like Homeland Season 1. If Brody had blown the vest up. Spoiler alert. Or Game of Thrones Season 6. Or Breaking Bad Season 5. Like True Detective belongs in that conversation and maybe at the, the front of that conversation. And a lot of it was built around these two guys, McConaughey. Russ Cole and Woody Harrelson, Martin Hart. So this this show starts and it, it it basically opens up letting you know that it's going to be kind of a time hop situation. There's a 1995 world and a 2012 world and somehow we have to bridge the gap and work our way through 17 years and, and see what's happened there's been murders at, at you know at both times in 95 there's a murder in 2012 there's a there's a new murder following a lot of the same paths the same trends so that's why they've brought these two detectives in and you know Woody Harrelson looks pretty much the same way looks pretty much the same way nothing uh, other than aging has really affected him and then you get to to Russ Cole and you look at him and you know something something's gone really wrong appearance wise with him like something has gone really wrong and driven him off the deep end so to speak so there's a new murder in 2012 that they say looks a lot like the murders in 1995 so then they take his boom back to 1995 and 
you see a a satanic ritual of sorts. You see like a a naked girl out in a field, this big wide open field in front of this big huge tree, and she has horns, antlers sewn onto her head. And here is really the the jumping off point of the show, of of the dynamic between Rust and Marty. And this scene in particular is really the jumping off point in terms of their their differences in how they do their work. Like Marty is immediately shook. Marty is immediately shook and, you know, comments on how this is the one of the worst things he's ever seen and how could this happen and he's he's looking at it from a one instance, one off, wow, this sicko. And then you have you have Marty who's immediately noticing the stab wounds, saying, Wow, this looks like a ritual. Basically like this wasn't just a murder. This was something bigger. Even goes as far as saying, like, you know, this is going to happen again. Like he's already boom, serial killer. So you kind of see Marty looking right in front of him, Rust already connecting dots and and projecting. At this time, you know, then then you kind of see the other dynamic of the relationship as Marty's like, you know, this might not be the right time to say this, but look, uh, we have to have dinner tonight. My wife and family needs to meet you. They haven't met you. Can't put it off any longer. So, I mean, you, you, you kind of get the – that lays like, hey, these guys aren't close. They haven't really gotten to know each other, right? And you see the professional differences already. And now you start getting the – what I think is the obvious, the biggest strength of the show, the, the main part of really the first six episodes, if you will, is these two's relationship. And, you know, between the time hop, you've already kind of discovered, like, something goes wrong, and these guys are no longer talking. Like, they're in 2012, and you realize they haven't talked since 2002. So, like, you, you know this relationship is headed for a rocky ending, but you see its birth in 1995. And really, I think, I think the relationship between the two really gets jump-started in, in, in what I think is... You know, the the best part of episode one by far, the one of the lasting moments I've had from watching this show in 2014. Right. So five years ago, this this upcoming scene that I'm going to play you guys is still what I think of when I think of the show. And of course, it is the the car scene where they're riding together and they finally have started to try to talk. Ask you something. You're Christian. Yeah. No. Well, what, what do you got the cross for in your apartment? Uh, it's a form of meditation. How's that? I contemplate the moment in the garden. The idea of allowing your own crucifixion. So right there, this is a really our introduction into their actual relationship. They're riding in a car. It's intimate. They are talking to each other, and Marty asks, look, uh, you're religious, right? And, of course, he's like, no. And then he drops on that basically he only has a crucifix because it reminds him and makes him think about the scene when, when Jesus is crucified and basically allowing 
himself to be taken. Like so, so first of all, we see that okay, Rust is a really uh, a weirdo, really a weirdo. Like he's got some really deep, depraved thoughts. Like he does not really think of of things in the uh, the best way. He's not thinking of uh, religion and salvation when he has a cross. He is thinking of the end of Jesus's life, which again. Pretty dark, but it implies the idea of sacrifice for a a greater good, giving yourself to a cause, being willing to to I guess be made an example of, or or be willing to to die and be tortured for something that you believe in. Which, in a weird kind of messed up way, okay, I got your rust, Marty, and you know, obviously in podcast form. I'm not going to be able to show you Marty's reaction, but you can you can guess that this guy is like, wait a second, what? What's happening here? But you're not a Christian, so what do you believe? I believe that people shouldn't talk about this type of shit at work. Hold on, hold on. Uh, three months we've been together, I, I get nothing from you. Today, what we're into now, uh, do me a courtesy, okay? I'm not trying to convert you. Look, I'd consider myself a realist, all right, but in philosophical terms, I'm what's called a pessimist. Um, okay, what's that mean? Means I'm bad at parties. (laughs) Let me tell you, you ain't great outside of parties either. A couple things revealed here. Uh, Yeah, Rust doesn't think that they should have these type of conversations at work, and then you see, like, they've been working together three months and never really talked, and maybe that's the reason why. And then, of course, Russ goes on to be like, yeah, look, I am a, uh, I consider myself realist. I consider myself a realist. Like, I look at life the way it is. I look at the world the way it is. But I've been labeled by many as a pessimist because I do those things. I do look at the way things are. And here it kind of highlights Marty and, and Woody Harrelson so great at the way he bounces off of McConaughey's dark. And Woody kind of provides that balance, if you will. And the way this is going to eventually be, you know, be a battle between good and evil and hope and hopeless and optimism and pessimism, like so far through this, you've had that illustrated in these two characters, right? You've had um, Marty be kind of the, the hopeful person, and then you have, you know, Russ Cole right here. By the way, this, this character does not work. Russ Cole does not work if he has a normal name. Right, like he has to have some type of of name, like Russ Cole, to really drive home what his character is. But you have him openly kind of admitting, like, "Yeah, no, I'm I am a pessimist. I do not believe uh, in in the good of this world." I think human consciousness is a tragic misstep in evolution. We became too self-aware. Nature created an aspect of nature separate from itself. We are creatures that should not exist. By natural law. Well, that sounds god fucking awful, Rush. We are things that labor under the illusion of having a self, this accretion of sensory experience and feeling. Programmed with total assurance that we are each somebody. When in fact everybody's nobody. I wouldn't go around spouting that shit I was you. People around here. Don't think that way. I don't think that way. I think the honorable thing for our species to do is deny our programming. Stop reproducing. Walk hand in hand into extinction. One last midnight, brothers and sisters opting out of a raw deal. So, 
What's the point of getting out of bed in the morning? I tell myself I bear witness. The real answer is that it's obviously my programming. And I lack the constitution for suicide. My luck, I picked today to get to know you. What were Three months, I don't hear a word from you, and... You asked. Yeah, and now I'm begging you to shut the fuck up. This is maybe the most telling exchange. You know, I, I love I love the explanation that McConaughey gives. I, I, love, I love Cole's words so much here that I actually put them in the intro to our radio show where he's saying, look... Uh, I consider myself a realist. Like, I understand what the world is here, right? I understand how messed up all this is. But I do. And the fact that I live that way or I believe that way has gotten me labeled as negative or a or a pessimist. And then Marty asked him, well, what's the point of all of it? You know, why are you still alive? Why do you get out of bed? And Rust is you know really vulnerable here and basically is like I, I I like to think that I have I like to pretend that I have some type of of higher power right I have some greater calling to to bear witness if you will but the truth is I'm just not able to commit suicide basically like yeah there's no real point in me still living but I'm just not going to kill myself if I die okay whatever but I'm not going to do it to myself. I got a bad taste in my mouth out here. Aluminum. Ash. Like you can smell a psychosphere. I got an idea. Let's make the car a place of silent reflection from now on. Okay? What should I ring for dinner? Bottle of wine would be nice, I guess. I don't drink. Oh, no, of course not, Russ. Listen, when you're at my house, I want you to chill the fuck out. Don't even mention any of that bullshit you just said to me. Of course not, Marty. I'm not some kind of maniac, right? You know, for fuck's sake. Purposely left in the exasperated <sighs> from Marty, just to kind of illustrate, like, look, there's, uh, he's obviously angry and says, look, you're coming to dinner, don't mess this up. And then, of course, Rust reveals, I'm not bringing a bottle of wine, I don't drink, to which Marty seems mad about, but whatever. So they've got the dinner part, they've got the dinner party set up, and you have seen the professional differences between how they uh, you know, observe a crime scene. And here you get a idea of how they think about the world differently, or at least how, how Russ thinks about the world differently, which you know, kind of with, by, by Marty's reaction shows you that he doesn't agree at all. Kind of tells you enough about how he thinks, right? So then really the, the, the remaining part of this episode – and episode one's great. Like, I don't know how people feel about it, but it, it just lays such a groundwork for what I think is the most important part of this show, which is just the relationship between these two people. 
that's what True Detective has been so different about. Like, you see the opening scenes, and you're seeing murder and serial killer, and you're thinking, okay, is this going to be like a Dexter, where you're trying to chase a killer and figure out who it is or or anything like that. And instead, this this episode one has shown you, no, this isn't about the killer. This is about the two guys who are having to chase the killer, right? This is about the toll it takes on them. And that's highlighted by the flashbacks and flash forwards to 2012, right? And and really, it's really displayed by the difference in opinion, or excuse me, a difference in appearance by... You know, Russ Cole and what it's done to him over these 12 years. So, you know, True Detective, this first episode really just shows you, no, we're going to do this differently. This isn't about chasing a, a monster. It's about the process of chasing the monster and what it does to people. So the, the crime scene shows you how they do professionally. The, the car ride tells you a little bit about their philosophical differences and now you get to the, the dinner scene, which I think is equally, if not more important. And before you get to the dinner party, you've already kind of seen, um, you know, Marty going through at home, falling asleep on the couch in his recliner, kind of giving you an idea that he doesn't necessarily have the best home life, right? Doesn't really have the best home life. So, and he's already told you in the card, you know, don't act like an idiot. Don't act like a creep whenever you come over to see my family. Well, you're you know you're you're surprised when Russ shows up completely drunk because he had said, "Hey, I don't I don't drink," but you soon find out through some conversation uh, with the wife Maggie that you know Rust had a daughter who died, and Rust was not wanting to come do this dinner because he knew that Marty had two daughters and a wife and he no longer had a daughter and his wife and him uh, broke up, got divorced after his daughter had died. So here you're kind of seeing, you're kind of seeing two different things, right? You're seeing Marty's insecurities and Marty not wanting someone else in his house and Marty uh, trying to protect this family as Rust is really wanting to be a part of something like I don't know if he was trying to be polite and just you know he had already made a plan with with Marty of hey we're you know you're gonna call this it was more Marty's plan but Marty's like hey we'll call in something say you have an emergency and you have to go and Marty goes and tries to do that and you see Russ kind of blow him off it's like no it can wait and I don't know if he's trying to be polite or if he's enjoying the dinner or if he's sobering up and realizes hey I can get through this or if he's just genuinely happy to have some type of connection to to Maggie, Marty's wife. And the look on the look on Marty's face when Russ blows him off. You could just see like the the anger, the rage, the I took it as just kind of a kind of the insecurities, right? Kind of the insecurities of just Russ trying to move in. Russ trying to to be a part of this. This seemed like one of those situations where you're kind of getting an idea of one guy wants the other's life, where the other one kind of wants another life. Like you, you, you have seen the you know earlier in the earlier in the earlier in the show, earlier in the episode, uh, 
Marty's telling the interrogators, talking about Russ not having a family and how that's not healthy for a man. And then, you know, you, you come to find out later in that episode, well, he did have a family and they're gone. So maybe he was a little bit right on that. And, you know, maybe that is why Rust has taken such a touch, such a you know pessimistic approach to life. And that's why he is saying the things he's saying in the car. And maybe that's why he is so shut down and just quite frankly, uh, shut off. And you can say weird, but I don't think it's weird. But, you know, basically he is that way because he did not have the family. Now, through loss, obviously, instead of just choosing not to, as he did for the next, you know, bit of his life. But Rust finds comfort in the dinner party, which he was dreading because you find out that his daughter was killed. And you don't, they don't necessarily tell you how she got killed, but just that she had died. The episode ends with uh, basically them realizing that another girl who had disappeared, a little five-year-old, Marie Fontenot, uh, that she had the same wooden stick men, stick figures, uh, you know, in in their scene as the murder victim Dora Lang had had. So there's a connection there. You don't necessarily know what it is. And then later the detectives are showing, hey, this is happening again in 2012. Really followed by the insinuation, and quite frankly, the one one detective is ready to accuse, uh, you know, Rust of being off the grid for for eight years, and the setup, the murder scene uh, from the 2012 murder, it had details that weren't released to the to the public. So at this point, you kind of realize, okay, this is more about a accusation. This is more of let's get the weird guy who's been off the grid for so long and has completely changed his appearance and obsessed about this case and and new things about it that other people didn't well, he's now a suspect and then one of the better lines of the of the series is McConaughey telling them well ask the right bleeping questions all right episode one uh, in the books, let me know what you thought if you want to ask questions for episode two, if you want to start a dialogue with this. I don't know exactly what I'm doing with it. Uh, this is the pilot episode of this. I uh, hope that you guys kind of enjoyed it. I hope that it sparked some interest in a, a great series and that you guys will want to listen along before season three starts off because I do have really high hopes for season three. All right, let me know what you think. Talk soon.